the last decades of the 18th century in England saw the, the deaths of two of its very prominent citizens. One was Charles Wesley, who many of you know was a good Anglican. He was also the brother of John Wesley, the founder of what became known as Methodism. And Charles's specific contribution to that work of God was to write an amazing amount of hymns that really captured the focus of the Wesleyan teaching and captured the praise of the Lord. There's so many just joyous, wonderful, convicting hymns that were part of the legacy of the Methodist movement. And when he died in 1788, Charles Wesley was recorded to have said on his deathbed, just before he passed, he said this, Come, my dearest Jesus, the nearer, the more precious, the more welcome. I cannot contain it. What manner of love is this to a poor worm? I cannot express the thousandth part of what praise is due to thee. It is but little I can give thee, but Lord, help me to give thee my all. I die praising thee and rejoice that others can praise thee better. I shall be satisfied with thy likeness, satisfied. Some years later, approximately six years later, another prominent person within the culture of England at the time, Edward Gibbon, passed away. He is noteworthy not only because of, primarily because of his erudition, an Oxford graduate, a, an MP, but very much a man of letters and a scholar. His seminal work is the decline and fall of the Roman Empire, which still today is cited by scholars, even while it's being corrected in places. But it was an amazing six-volume work. At the end of his life, on his deathbed, he was recorded to have said this, This day may be my last. I will agree that the immortality of the soul is at times a very comfortable doctrine. All this is now lost, finally irrevocably lost. All is dark and doubtful. Both men coming to the end of their life, both though with very different perspectives on what that was going to mean. Charles Wesley, of course, is greeting the end of his days with an inexpressible joy, not because he was a, you know, an especially happy individual, but because of the hope that clearly awaited him, that hope that is found in Christ. Edward Gibbon, on the other hand, had no such hope. And what awaited him, he wasn't sure. All, all we have is just this, this sense of resignation on his part. And that would under, be understandable since all he looked forward to was something that was dark and doubtful. And so today, as we continue in our series called Life Together, what makes community Christian? I really want us to see that what makes us particularly Christian is to the joy that we have because of the hope that we have. You cannot have the joy that Wesley is expressing or that other saints have expressed without the certain hope that comes in Christ. To be sure, we can, people can have a sense of, of joy, if you will. There's things in this life that bring us joy. Whenever you have a particular uh, strong desire of something that you're anticipating that you want very much and it finally comes to fruition it finally becomes a realization there's just that sense of elation and joy is the term that captures that it's it, when you have real joy it's it's hard to express in words you just know it at the the core of your being
Vicki and I were talking about kind of what that meant for us. And we're like, so Vicki, you were asking me, like, what did you feel when Sarah was born? Like, well, I felt inexpressible joy. I, I couldn't, as I was just trying to frame it in our conversation, I couldn't really, the, the words became pretty inadequate. It was just a sense of joy because the hope that we had of her coming into this life and uh, actually we didn't know it was her, um, but we had a sense that she would be she. We had a, I, I knew, we knew pretty early on that we, we had the name Sarah. Even on the way to the hospital, we were struggling with a boy's name. Like, what if it's a boy? Well, we don't think it's a boy, but we don't know. So, but just that sense when, when she was born of, of joy and we have it in great times like that. We have it sometimes if you were looking for a job and finally got the one that you'd been long interviewing for or accepted into a school. We have these senses and those aren't restricted to Christians per se. They're just part of what it means to be in this world and in this time. So we know joy in one sense, but the joy that's being talked about here is the joy that is based on the hope that is found in the Lord. And when you think, you know, we've been looking at Romans 12 as, as the basis for what we're talking about, as the basis for what describes a Christian community, as the basis for what we're calling values, so that when somebody looks at a church, when they look at Holy Trinity, they should be able to see some things on display that are reflective of Christ. And as they accurately and faithfully reflect Jesus, they have their own attractional aspect to them. And that's our hope and our goal. And so the, the value that I would... In, in praying that all of us embody is that sense of joy, the sense of joy that comes from the hope that we have within us. To help us understand that a little bit more, we read the, the passage Tanya read in, in, uh, in Romans 5. And it says this, particularly verse 2, it says, though we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Or another translation says, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. What is the hope of the glory? The hope of the glory is that at some point after we die, when Christ comes again, we will see him face to face. We will be with him forever. That is something that is meant that, that when Paul talks about it, when he says, for example, in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 13, at the end of that marvelous chapter on love, he says, though we see through a glass darkly, uh, or we see a poor reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see him face to face. Though I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. There is the clear teaching of scripture that at, at some point in our journey, we will come face to face with the Lord. The, the term glory is a shorthand for that. The hope of glory means at some point that we will be in the presence of the Lord. And the glory that he has, the radiance that he has, the power, the uh, aspect of that, we, it will no longer be blinding to us because right now we know that, that God dwells in unapproachable light. But at some point, we'll be able to come into his presence. And we too, in some measure, will reflect the glory that God has. There's a variety of ways that, are, that people think that that will happen. But just the prospect of being in the presence of God, and as Moses was able to reflect his time with God, even a little, 
so much so that he had to put a veil over his face. So we too will be able to reflect the presence of the Lord. That is the hope of glory that's being talked about. And I think it's actually worthwhile for us to focus on that because we, we tend to forget about it. Uh, some of the evangelical tradition that I was raised in and so thankful for oftentimes spoke of, of the goal of life as being salvation. But what does that mean if not a real face-to-face relationship with, with the Lord himself through Jesus Christ? That is the end, if you will. That is the end goal, the teleos. And so that should be exciting to us. But I think our church has lost a little bit of what that means. But, uh, that, that, but saints of centuries past sought to capture that throughout the church history or the medieval times, early church, even within the Reformation. Thomas Watson, who was a Puritan, wrote this about what he thought it would mean to come into the glory of God. He said, if, if God is so beautiful here in the ordinances on earth, his word through times of prayer, through the sacraments, if there is such excellency in him, when we see him by the eye of faith through the perspective glass of promise, oh, what will it be when we shall see him finally face to face? There will be glory beyond hyperbole. And then he goes into some hyperboles. If the sun were 10,000 times brighter than it is, it could not so much as shadow out his glory. In the heavenly horizon, we shall behold beauty in its first magnitude and highest elevation. There we shall see the king in his glory. All the lights are but eclipses compared with the glorious vision. And as a good pastor, Watson is actually trying to get his congregation to reflect upon what that hope of glory is. Not that they would become good theologians, but that they would allow that eventual prospect to really inform their sense of who they belong to and help them navigate through the challenges of this life. And that's Paul's thing here. So he says that we boast in the hope of glory, but it's not meant to just be something that allows us to escape the challenges and issues of this world. Actually, the hope of glory is meant to give us our goal, but then the challenges and the things that we are facing and that we are dealing with and that are coming upon us, those far from being meant to knock us off are actually means of understanding that glory even further. In verse, in the next verse, verse three, we also glory, but says Paul, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And so what's Paul saying? He's saying that our hope as believers is that one day we will see Jesus face to face and experience an amazing glory that we cannot really fully understand but we're meant to contemplate that not by way of escape from this world, but way of understanding how we go through this world. And then he says specifically that sufferings, or another way, another word for sufferings is pressures of life, that, these, that we actually glory in those themselves. Why? Because we know that these sufferings produce perseverance and that produces character. So here's what he's saying. There's a process by which things come to us from the outside things we would prefer not to have happen, but they're here nonetheless. Hardships, difficulties, uncertainties, challenges, setbacks, however you want to describe them, persecutions, broken relationships, all these things happen. What is our response to that? Our response is that we glorify within that because we know that God is actually using those to produce Christ-like character. 
And he does that as we persevere, as we just hold on to the course that God has for us to faithfully move through each of those challenges with the knowledge of the word of God and the prayers of the saints and the conviction that we know that whatever the next smart step is. So when in Romans 12, which we didn't read today, when it says, you know, bless those who persecute you, it's not saying that persecution doesn't happen. It says, this is our response. We, our response in short should be the same response that Christ had to actually bless those who persecute. He blessed those who persecuted him, who actually put him on the cross. We too should be blessing those who are coming at us for in whatever way or for whatever reason. That's just but a small example of what Paul's writing about when he says we glory in our sufferings because we know that it produces perseverance. It's like if you've ever sailed a small boat and you, you know, you got the rudder in the back that helps it steer and you've got a tiller that helps you control the rudder. Well, it's easy if there's not a lot of wind blowing. You can sit back and put your feet up. You can do whatever, look around. But if that wind kicks up, the more it kicks up, the more you have to hang onto the tiller in order to stay on the course that you've charted to get you from point A to point B. In some ways, that's what's in mind here, that we glory in our sufferings because it produces perseverance. And when we consistently hang onto that tiller, then that character, that being more like Jesus becomes more of our experience. And that in itself reminds us and makes that hope more certain of what lies ahead. See the steps, whatever sufferings, they're okay. They're part of what God allows. See what's required of us just to persevere in his name. See that that actually makes us more like Jesus, which is part of what will happen when we're with him in heaven fully. And then finally, that produces the hope that we look forward to. Now, if you think that that's a lot of work, um, here's something to, to uh, encourage all of us. And that is the verse five of Romans five. It says, not only this, but we rejoice also in our sufferings because we know that, sorry. That he says that because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been, has been given to us. So even as we do these things, even as we go along this path of uh, the hope of the glory of God and allowing that to be our compass heading as we go through sufferings, as we persevere through them, as we see ourselves becoming made more, more like Christ as a result of those, even as we see ourselves doing that, we know that at every step we have the help and the guidance and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We are never alone in this journey. We may feel alone. I think this COVID thing can make us feel isolated in places. There's no doubt about that. But I hope that in this time, we understand that the Holy Spirit has been poured out into our hearts. And that should give us great encouragement. So I don't know where this finds each of us, but I do know that, that it is all by God's design that we would further become more like he is, further reflect his glory not only in this life, but when we see him face to face fully when we are with him forever. So what makes our community Christian is this. It is the certain hope of the glory of God, of seeing the glory of God and participating in it. It is closer to each of us who know Jesus today than it was yesterday. It's imminence and resulting joy that we experience with it makes the example of Edward Gibbon all the more heartbreaking. But so let us who belong to this community of the hope of glory press into the joy ourselves. And not only as we meditate upon it, 
but as we recognize it and allow it to influence how we deal with the pressures of our times, to build the perseverance and develop the character of all that we need to be like Christ. And that will make our hope more certain. As we do these things, then we will be able to say, as Charles Wesley did, I am satisfied with thy likeness. Satisfied. Amen. Thanks for being with us online in the sermon podcast. To find out more about Holy Trinity Silicon Valley, head to www.holytrinitysv.org.